Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Josh Brown, it's another Monday. It's the wind-up. I'm Scott Tilford. You're Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. And you were away at the end of last week. You were seeing a lovely little little tiny band called the 1975, I checking those little boys out. And uh, and everything kicked off in gaming. Me and Jules dove on some news about um, Halo, a whole bunch of layoffs and everything else. But how have you been? Listen, I'm not saying I'm the main character, but it always <laughs> seems that every single time I'm off or I'm on lunch, like uh-huh. the biggest gaming news drops, and I was on the train looking at that stuff, yeah. thinking I can't wait to talk about that next week. But first... You know that's so just... You know, that bit when you're playing like a Call of Duty campaign or a Killzone campaign and you're, you're in some sort of enclosed space and there's an explosion through a window in the distance. Yeah. That's exactly what we went through. It was, yeah. I, I bet we it was. The yeah, yeah. In the, in the 100%. Distance. And I was like, Scott, and certainly Jules is going to have a time dealing with this. But <laughs> I've got to see the 1975 do Paris tonight. I'm going to do that. Yeah. But on Saturday, Scott Tilford, I need to re- regale you a story because I had a few firsts, right? Saturday night, uh-huh. I went out to the pub with my friends uh-huh. and came home, right? About, you know, 12 o'clock or oh, something. Okay. Not too ridiculous. I wasn't insane. I'm a big fan of getting back to my own bed. Me too, because yeah. obviously you really want the food. Now, True. I asked the taxi guy to drop me off at my favorite chippy. It was too busy. I went to Subway. It was too busy. Okay. So I ended up in Greg's, which was busy, but the line was going down fast. And I just wanted to say <laughs> that on Saturday night before I got home, yes. I had my first sausage, bean, and cheese Bake. How was that your first one? Oh man, it changed my life. <laughs> I know what I'm trying to tell you. I was literally eating it on the way home, thinking, <laughs> "I can't wait to tell Scott about this because it's all my favorite things inside a wrap." And it was. I thought, truly, I've told. I feel well, like I've told you this. You absolutely have. Yeah. Everyone's told me it, and I love particularly beans in everything. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to have a bean sandwich. That's how <laughs> like much I like beans. Your beans. Why do you spill your beans, boy? <laughs> anyway, the yeah. point is, I was eating that on the way home, and yes. I took a load of Greg's home, and mm. I thought, you know what? I want to unwind, ironically, because this is the wind-up. It is. And I thought, what game can I play right now? In the game that I decided to play at half 12 that night was Siphon Filter 2. (laughs) And I've just got PlayStation Premium back again, so I thought I'll build Siphon Filter 2 up. And it was hilarious trying to play a PlayStation 1 game after a few pints, yeah. because those games are off obtuse, your nips on uh, sausage and bean melts. This is this is off, absolutely off my <laughs> head on sausage and bean melts. But the issue was mm-hmm. that I'm in this position now. This is the real point of the story, where it's post Christmas, it's post Callisto Protocol, yes, and it's post Final Fantasy VII reunion. Have you finished what? Well, this is it. Okay, There's, I just can't get into any game, and I'm just waiting for the right game to come along. Uh-huh. And in my you know drunken state, I thought Siphon Filter Two might be the one for me. <laughs> And unfortunately, in it was not. But I just, I'm in this situation right now because we normally, you know, talk about what we've been playing on this yes. podcast. And I haven't had anything Which we will for weeks. To. We absolutely will. But it's my own fault because every single thing I jump into, I just keep bouncing off, man. I mm. really wish I liked Final Fantasy VII Reunion more. Mm. I wish I liked Siphon Filter 2 more. Mm. I even played Star Wars Demolition because that was also on you the PlayStation You texted me very Premium. excited about Star Wars Demolition being oh. added to that service. It was my childhood, man. I used to play that two-player <laughs> all the time. And I played it for about three minutes and thought, no. This is, this is not it either. So no. I just, I want something to be it is mm-hmm. the point of this thing. And until then, all I can do mm-hmm. is eat sausage, bean, and cheese melts <laughs> until something comes along. That's a very substantive thing to do. I feel like Fire Emblem is what you need. I feel like Interesting. it's not a Pokemon spinoff like you might have thought. I did but you told me this this morning. That, that's a hell, that knocked me for six, they might say, um, thinking that Fire Emblem was always some sort of spinoff of Pokemon. Um, but no, I feel like, because we're going to go over the latest uh, video game news, that's usually what we do in the old windup is the latest video game news, 
the latest things that we're playing. Um, but I also want to hit you with something ridiculous as well. Speaking of firsts, is on. that I played Dead Space 3 yes. for the first time. I'm in a very very Dead Space mood at the minute. Um, obviously, the remake's coming out at the end of this month. You were saying about you know bouncing off a lot of stuff, and I feel like this has been a month of bouncing. I feel like I've just been going back and forward on various things, but I love third-person shooting. I love horror. I love third-person horror, and I love sci-fi. So I wanted to love, I wanted to get stuck into Dead Space all over again. I was like, I'm not going to play the original because that'll just ruin it for the remake. Yeah. So I'll pick up my old save on uh, Dead Space 2 because I never finished it back in the day um, and got through all that and then immediately went into Dead Space 3, a game that is historically hated, one of the most divisive final installments, well, not even divisive, just hated, absolutely yeah. despised final installments in uh, gaming history. And I think I prefer it to two. Now, go on. Now, 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 I need to interject right now yep. before you explain why because- It is madness. I am a defender of Dead Space 3. Yes. I actually think it's a really underrated game, and at mm. the core of it is a really solid action game. Yep. So I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. I am I, not drunk enough, and I have, had <laughs> not, I have not eaten as many bean, cheese, no. and sausage melts to agree with the idea that it's better than two. Mm. That's where I draw the line, and I really need you to explain it's just how because, you've landed on this. So going from Callisto Protocol straight back into Dead Space 2, I realized that one of the things I hated the most about Callisto was the, the lack of story pull. It was just this gem. In Callisto, it's just, can you escape the planet? And then, I mean... I was going to say spoilers for Callisto. I guess someone's still going to be going through it. But, like, vaguely, the vague idea of what the prison is, who's in charge of it, what's really going on, is so similar to Dead Space 2. And I realized that, actually, Glenn Schofield for Callisto was largely just channeling where Dead Space went anyway. And there's a lot... You could make a series of sentences and just remove some of the nouns, and it would be the exact same story. Right. And so my problem with Dead Space 2 was... Um, and it's not that I don't like Dead Space 2. It is still a very good, chunky um, third-person horror shooter, but it's almost caught between two identities. Like, Dead Space 1 is massively atmospheric. You have, like, good, crunchy, chunky, gory combat, but it's very, it's quite slow. It's corridor-crawly. You've got lots of jump scares. Like, it's very effective. Um, and like I said, it, it, it prioritizes atmosphere. And then Dead Space 2 was, like, like post-Uncharted, post-Gears of War. They're, like, starting to edge into the, the third-person shooter boom of the late 2000s and the early 2010s, and they tried to bring some of that in. And it, it feels like the aliens to alien. And, and I, like, I'm not an Aliens fan. I love Alien. Yeah. I don't like Aliens because it, it ruins the effect of that creature. It makes it disposable and it just makes it cannon fodder and whatever. And so Dead Space 2, it's like, it's a really effective shooter, but I feel like they have zero story pull. Like in Dead Space 1, it's like, what the hell is the Ishimura? What was really going on? What's happening with Nicole, like your partner? Like you're trying to figure out like what was this operation and this derelict ship in the middle of space? That's a great story hook. In 2, it's just, you wake up, people have been experimenting on you, trying to extract some information and like trying to escape the city. And then the whole campaign in Dead Space 2 is just hinged on finding this dude called Stross who like knows more than you, but he's freaking out. And every single cutscene is like a little video call with him as he freaks out a little bit. And it's just, I just think it's so boring. And so when you get back to three and they resume the stuff from one about what's happening with the markers and the history of uh, why are the necromorphs being created and everything, it's hokey. It's still really hokey. Um, But I find that story pull to be way more engaging. And then in three, this is such a long ramble, but in three, they nail the combat. Like three is like Mass Effect 3's combat, like in terms of the approach where it's like, they give you so much ammo. They give you so much stasis, so much energy to pick up enemies and throw them into each other. And they add damage to everything that you throw. Um, Whereas beforehand, it was only like specific things. And even then it would just sort of stun someone. If you would telekinetically throw a box at someone, they'd stutter, you know, they'd judder back a little bit. Um, Whereas in this, one, you can just pick up a torso, a leg, a box, a fire extinguisher, and decapitate someone with it, which I love doing in video games. That stuff's so great, man. Combat's great. I think the story hook is back. Um, I just think that overall, that whole idea where they sort of added side missions and you're taking like a little skiff between different ships, um, it all runs gorgeously on Series X, which I guess is a whole other thing to throw in. If you're replaying Dead Space 2 or 3, the 360 versions, um, they run with HDR, 60 FPS, lock. They, they run beautifully. Um, they're really just good, smooth shooters. Dead Space 3 still has one of the worst openings of all time. Definitely. Absolutely a trend chasing abomination. Just this weird attempted cover shooting. It's terrible. It's absolutely god-awful. But once you're past that, and when it settles back into just being a Dead Space that embraces the action half of Dead Space 2, I think it's way more confident overall. Listen, there's a lot I'm going to agree with you on Mm. there. I am a lover of Dead Space 2. But even I would agree, like, I don't remember anything that happened in that story. I remember the set pieces. I remember some things that you do. Some great fights in there, too. 100%. 
sense, yeah. but I can't remember, you know, the specific plot of that game. Mm. That was never the appeal for me. That said, I also can't remember the plot of Dead Space 3 either. Right. And actually remember being more annoyed at the plot of Dead Space 3, especially when it comes to your partner character. Oh, he sucks. Carver sucks. Carver sucks. He just kind of disappears from the story. Yeah. And sometimes he's in cutscenes, and sometimes he is not. <laughs> but I would agree with the kind of like the core assessment that Dead Space 3 as an action game is smooth. It is silky. It has a lot of production value mm. in there, a lot of polish. And mm. like you said, you know, genuine ambition within its own parameters like mm. the side missions being able to having a bigger play space having more to do mm-hmm. I do think it gets a bit rote towards the end I'm sure I'll tire of it I should say Absolutely. I'm on chapter 9 of I think 19 yeah. so I'm almost halfway um, but it's no I am no, I am halfway yes yeah almost no I am almost halfway I couldn't do basic maths for a second I was like <laughs> double 9 is 18 and um, so I'm almost halfway and um, no oh my god my head well, if I'm on chapter 9 and there's yes. 19 chapters you're just under halfway I'm just under halfway yeah, yeah, it's yeah. early in the morning we're calling this <laughs> It's not really, but um, but yeah. So I'm just like I think I'll probably get sick of it as it goes on. I am hating the weapon system. Yes. I hate having to build all your weapons from scratch, and that stuff sucks. Um, however, I do want to shout out because they tease it a bit in Dead Space One and Two, um, and they haven't really fully capitalized on it yet in any of the games so far. All the anti-grav stuff is so cool, yeah. like just randomly going from a third-person on-the-ground shooter to a full-on almost like space dogfight mechanic where you're taking on aliens in like full 360 degrees and you're boosting around. They could do with like an in-air dodge or something. Yeah, but the feel of that is so cool, and the sound just disappears, and all you get is all these muffled noises as you're squelching creatures left, right, and center. I think that if they made a whole game of that, I guess that's kind of what that dark, dark void thing was. Yeah. Um, but still, the way that they transition into those parts gives you so much more to do across Dead Space Three. Um, I wish there's more to it, and like I said, I wish you could do an air dodge. But um, that part of Dead Space rarely ever gets highlighted that much True. as like a really cool anti-grav sections that are just fun to do. And it really works in Dead Space mm. Three, like you mentioned. You know, it does have one of the worst introductions ever opening <laughs> levels but the level after that when you are in space and you come across like the debris of like the different ships around you and you're like going from ship to ship and you're like investigating you're scavenging like that stuff is so cool yeah, the lighting incredible that's it the lighting's awesome like they just have that the atmosphere mm. ironic because there's very little atmosphere <laughs> where you're actually going in mm. those sections but like they get that atmosphere down and they get the feel of it like down and like the way they expand upon those set pieces in three is very satisfying mm-hmm. so I will never agree with you that it's better than two but i will I shout right it now, out for people to play yeah i think i right now i'm just liking it more than two i was quite disappointed by two story and i just i just really just did it just did i just didn't think it added a whole lot to it and it just felt like this extra thing where they tightened up the combat but its identity was a bit split between being a horror game and being an action game um and i just i love some of the specific encounters that first time you uh, you realize you're in the room with something that's hunting you yeah um and it's you kind of realize its head is like poking out from around a corner and it's like this weird enemy that like charges you every now and then when you kill it you get the achievement that says clever girl from like jurassic park and it's like that's a great little set piece yeah. but then they do it like three more times and it's like okay cool but still I think overall uh, with three, it just it just has such a confident combat. It just knows what it is more, and they are chasing trends. They were chasing the gears boom of like like I said, late two thousands, early twenty tens. Um, but at the same time, because they double down on that stuff, and I'm sure I'll eat my words later because I'm sure the story won't be satisfying. It will it will not. It be actually now. <laughs> it's not, and I already know about who the, what the final boss is uh, from various worst bosses ever lists that we've done. Um, but I feel like they nail the combat. I feel like they nail the overall presentation and like like beat to beat gameplay. It's very Moorish. Yeah, like it's very easy to just enjoy those combats. It's absolutely the Resident Evil 5 of that franchise. Totally. Where it might not be what you want, but it is quite good at what it's doing. And yes, Mm. it's chasing trends. And yes, it kind of is kind of transitory in the way that it's not quite a full action game yet it still has some holdovers mm. but it's getting there you've yeah. got the co-op element in there as well mm-hmm. like I would definitely like I say I would recommend it I think time has been kind to it because yes. the biggest criticisms I had of it at the time was the it wasn't what it was doing wrong it was more of the lack of the unfulfilled potential. Mm. You know, if you there's a great Eurogamer piece out there that kind of chronicled its development and interviewed people who mm. were intimately involved with the original idea, which mm. was more horror-focused. It was more focused on Isaac's kind of like split not split personality, but hallucinations that yeah, he's experiencing. Yeah. Him as an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And he had this really cool idea for the multiplayer that's kind of in there now, but nowhere near as realized right. as it as it should have been, where you're both seeing different things. Like Isaac and ah. uh, Carver are in the same level together, uh-huh. but on one screen, you know, Isaac is seeing all of these monsters coming around a corner. That's cool. And Carver isn't seeing it. Uh-huh. So to kind of like 
the idea was to have you talking on comms and to be like, did you see that? Like, what's going on? What's real? What isn't? Because they try you have to speak. They try and tease that in Dead Space too. They have him. They have Isaac be attacked by this big tendril a few times that like, and it comes through a window and it smashes you around and he sort of goes, oh my god, and it's nothing there at all. Yeah. But then there, it is there and you fight it and that's <laughs> the end. And so like they, they kind of go back and forth on that hallucination thing and they it almost feels like they have no idea what to do with all the marker stuff. Like the more I think about the law, it doesn't really make any sense. Like they yeah. sort of retcon what the original marker is like twice. Like, every game it's a different original thing. And, uh, and that stuff's kind of all over the place. It is interesting, though, charting as a trilogy, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, and Dead Space 1, 2, and 3. Like, both original installments were so confident and so their own thing, and then both were dragged into that whole maelstrom of, like, third-person cover shooting, and how, how do we get more action in here? And then, like, post-Uncharted, how do we do big set pieces? Mm-hmm. How do we throw and bounce, bounce your character off half the environment, and all you do is push X every now and then? And it's just, like... That idea of like everything is collapsing and you're in the middle of it. Yeah. That was going back through Dead Space 2 and 3. I was like, I remember when this was everywhere. Yeah. And it was like the Tomb Raider reboot had it. And it's just like that whole thing of like we designed this whole sequence that you don't play. You just you just experience it for a bit, which I never felt anything in any of those sequences. Maybe Uncharted because you had some control. Yes. But then I would die and be like, I don't even know where you want me to be. <laughs> the ground's falling away. I have no idea. And um, But I think that's interesting that like Mass Effect 2 and uh, Dead Space 2 are almost weird like middle installment deviations from the main story. And a lot yes. of people love them because of that. They're almost like guide inside stories. And then when they get back to everything, the story is more like carrying on from where they left off in one. But then the gameplay was so twisted at that point for both franchises that people were just like, this isn't even what I started with. Yeah. And it's just like, they, they kind of both, when you play Dead Space 3, it feels like a game of the opening of Mass Effect 3 stretched all the way out. Like, just go here, go here, shoot this, do this. Uh, which didn't feel like it belonged in Mass Effect 3 either. Um, I will round this out by saying one of the only reasons it feels refreshing and worthwhile now is because it's 2023 and we don't have cover shooters everywhere. Um, whereas, like, back then, it was, like, that one where you manipulate terrain and there was, there was Gears Judgment. Everyone was like, oh, my God, just let Gears yeah, be done. Just, come on, let's finish Fra- up. Fracture or something was that yeah, one where you, do you recall that? make yeah. your own cover by moving the ground. Dark Void. Dark like, Void. Dark Sector, like, they were everywhere. Whereas now, if you just want, like, a fun third-person romp, yeah. it's right there. And, of course, we cannot end this section without talking about how it kind of ushered in the beginning of the end for for a while, because yeah. it was one of the first games with microtransactions in it, which oh, God, need, obviously yeah. transformed the way that weapons work, like you were alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a big... This They're just seeing what they can get away with. Totally. It felt like the stepping stone for EA to eventually get to Battlefront 2. Like, if it's that meme where it's kind of like an innocuous... Oh, the domino. Yeah, the domino <laughs> effect. It's like, horror franchise changes its weapon system. One of the biggest oh, uh, properties in the world, um, you know, crashes and burns, uh, and we completely transform the way we think about video games. Well, it's like, there's, there's a couple of things worth saying. Like, one is that I thought Dead Space 3 was fundamentally co-op. I always thought that it wouldn't work as a single player because it's fundamentally co-op. It's not. There are different options on the main menu. It's single yeah. player or the co-op campaign. They're different things, because Carver does disappear in the main story, um, which I, quite, I kind of found like, oh, okay, so there was a single player component here the whole time. Um, that microtransaction stuff though, like, oh my God, like they make it so there's one universal ammo type for all weapons, but then you only need to find crafting components to build anything and they're just not abundant at all. You can tell a little droid to find stuff for you. Yes. But it's like area specific. It's really weird. Um, and the game flags. Like, hey, do you want to buy this? Like every <laughs> every uh, bench that you go to to build stuff, it's just sort of like, here's a button for the store. Like, do you want some? Uh, I remember it was trying to sell me Xbox uh, gamer score points. And I was like, <laughs> I remember when this thing was a thing. Um, but yeah, Dead Space 3, I feel like it's not like it's been tried unfairly because it did steer headlong into just trend chasing, especially in that first area, which I get why people would just be like, oh my God, F this. Um, especially for the time as well, where I felt like that stuff was everywhere. However, in 2023, in this general month of Dead Space that we're in, um, it has been fun going back to it. And it's a weird little curio. It's a really, like, a, a thing that is very endemic of the time. Yeah. Um, but I think removed from that time, you can kind of have fun with the bits that it did right. Um, so, yeah, so I'm enjoying that. Speaking of new stuff, though, um, you wanted to um, talk a little bit about um, a lot of the layoffs that happened last week. We've yeah, got a lot of stuff to get to, but, like, Microsoft laid off about, um, I think, ultimately, it was about 11,000 people yeah. um, spanning Microsoft's uh, offices, Bethesda, 343, and then, like, kind of tapped into a wider amount of layoffs across various tech industries. Like, uh, Google laid off a lot of people, GameSpot lost some people, Giant Bomb, like, Fandom, who owns them. Um, there was a lot of layoffs last week, and it, um, lots of commentary on it. it. Seems like it was because a lot of companies hired a lot during the pandemic, yeah. and then they're trimming back down or whatever. But still, it felt like it all came at once. It was just grim reading, man. Yeah. And like you know, it's always unexpected. But specifically from Microsoft, who you know, I just think it's kind of uh, 
incongruous to be pushing through a $69 billion acquisition yeah. of a company while at the same time <laughs> laying off 10,000 people across the in, like, entirety of yeah. Microsoft, not just the game division, of course. But like, I was just kind of read the more I read into it, the angrier I was getting about the entire sort of situation. Mm. Obviously, you know, you look at their profit, you look at their revenue, and it's like, I read a great article that was essentially saying, yeah, they might save like, you know, maybe a billion dollars, including the tax write offs mm-hmm. after they kind of like cut all of these jobs. But to Microsoft, who has all the money in the world, it's like, yeah, what does it, that really get you? It's a drop in the bucket, man. Yeah. Like, but to these people who obviously are directly affected about mm-hmm. it, it is literally their entire lives. And mm-hmm. it just, it has made me really turn heel on Microsoft and Xbox <laughs> as a company to use some wrestling parlance. I would, pay, I would back that. It's like they've spent, in my opinion, so many years trying to better their image, you know, make themselves more appealing mm. to fans, make themselves more appealing to developers that they are purchasing because they are purchasing so many developers mm. and to see, you know, layoffs within 343, within Bethesda Game Studios or wherever across mm. the board. It was just, it was incredibly deflating and it feels like, man, every few weeks, every few months, we're getting news about, you know, potentially sometimes record profits, sometimes record acquisitions. Mm. And at the same time, it's, it is the Activision thing where, you know, a few years ago, Activision had their record number in terms of the revenue and profit, mm. and then they sacked like 800 people, and it's like, this does this is not a sustainable model, no. and I don't know how, it's just, it's not a new thing, but no. it still sucks, and it feels like it's getting more aggressive and more acute. The yeah, and there's more to lose as well, like the wages are bigger, the, the positions that they're in are more impactful to various communities, or the, like, it's a, it's a multiple year-long cycles, whether it's game development or tech development or whatever. There was a tweet from someone who worked at Google who was there for 15 years, yeah. and it was just, I was given five minutes notice, I'm like, hey, you're done, just, yeah. oh, I'll see you later, and like, they'd just taken on a whole new project. But yeah, it's just like, it feels like it's more frequent than ever, and I think maybe it is a knock-on from the pandemic. I saw uh, Jeff Grobe talking about it on Giant Bomb, um, this is before they found out about their own staff departures, they were just talking about Microsoft, and he was saying that um, it's it's it is like an it is entirely profit driven. It's like they have the money um, to keep those people employed. Yep. It's just a choice to run on a smaller engine. Like it is just a way to um, get through the pandemic and now trying to like downsize or whatever. But it's uh, it doesn't hurt the amount. It doesn't help the amount of people that it's affecting. And it's so company wide. Um, I'll throw in here that three four three have said that they will continue. Um, they they put a tweet out because a lot of people, including us, were just like, "Is this the death of Halo?" Yeah, like because it feels like because Joseph Stanton chose to go back to. Xbox Publishing. He was the um, head of creative. Um, they lost a whole bunch of people on the story DLC, any of the main campaign stuff. Um, and apparently, internally, there 343 will oversee the future of Halo, but the actual like devs uh, dev time will be given to multiple smaller studios or something like that. It doesn't really feel like they know what the hell they're doing. No. I don't feel like they've known what they're doing with Halo forever, for years. Um, but 343 have tweeted in, the, in light of everyone saying what the hell's going on, saying that Halo and Master Chief are here to stay. 343 Industries will continue to develop Halo now and in the future, including epic stories, multiplayer, and more of what makes Halo great. Um, that's all they put out is just one sentence on a on a um, like a graphic that they put out on Twitter. Um, but I guess we can dovetail into that, or we can t- talk about the uh, the layoff stuff. Yeah. But what do you think they even do? With Halo, I, I have no stage. idea, man. Like, do they like put it on ice for a little bit, give it a reboot I further on down the line? Yeah, just let it go. <laughs> and I'm a massive Halo fan. But 100%. Like, like, it just feels like literally they don't have the resources now to even support Infinite in mm. a substantive way. You mm. know, stuff like even a few months ago, stuff like the split split screen co-op was getting canned. You know, Forge was delayed. All of these things that should have been a standard were already, you know problematic they were already coming in hitting roadblocks mm. and now with these layoffs and with this kind of like lack of management with mm. you know people in executive positions if they haven't been laid off they're moving to a different division within Microsoft mm. or within Xbox and it's like if you've got no one steering the ship like how can you keep going and it yeah. sucks you know I was reading tweets from you know people who worked on Halo Infinite for for years mm. you know like the actual devs the programmers the artists all of that stuff mm. saying like it's they've watched people be passionate about this game, be passionate about this franchise, mm. be constantly mismanaged by people who don't understand what to do with the game, with yeah. the franchise, don't know how to lead it. Which you hear about more and more and more in these sectors. Yeah. Always the the story, right? When these reports come out, you know, you look at even as far back as something like Anthem or Mass mm. Effect Andromeda. It's not the lack of quality from the developers; it's the lack of a plan, the lack of yeah, real creative yeah. vision, time management. You know, managing. People people mm. and it's just it's in halo's case like i just don't know if you can keep going on not that i want of course want to stress that mm. i don't want the rest of people at 343 to lose their jobs and be no. taken off halo of course you, but like there's something else you can do with that franchise and those developers 
deserve better, deserve to work on something that is yeah. going to get more support and more love or have that kind of um, creative sort of consistency. Well, that's the, the thing. I mean, like they, you would assume that, I mean, they are very passionate, creative people. Anyone who is passionate and creative should be able to work on something that has an end point to it, that has something they can actually ship to people and be proud of it, uh, rather than just have it cut off years into production or whatever. Um, there's also a thing as well. I think that like the bigger the company, like the likes of Google, the likes of Microsoft, you assume that they have the most master of plans in yeah. place. Like there's no way something this big could teeter and could shed that many people, like 11 or 10 to 11,000 people. Um, just getting emails, just being told, hey, you're done. Hey, see you later. Yeah. And it's just like, it's weird because like, as you, like over the years, you know, the job that we do, like we got acquired by future. Like there's always this assumption that the bigger the network that you're part of, the tighter it has to be to hold everything together. And it's always just proof of the pudding in this case of how easy that can fall apart. And yeah, it's man. just like a weird reality of realizing how, un, how loose all those actual networks are. Um, and it's always case by case, but like, it is one of those things where like, yeah, like it's a realization of yeah. just, this should be a hell of a lot better. Than Absolutely. It is. That's, that's, that's the thing. And I don't want to talk about it too much just because I only have anger and I don't have solutions <laughs> and I know everyone is angry about it and rightly so. Mm -hmm. But like when it comes to like a company like Microsoft, it's like when you're in one of those big companies, everything is all right until it isn't totally. like there's, the, the, you can have, like we were talking about, you know, still making loads of profits, still bringing in loads of money. Mm. You might be thinking everything is fine, but then one day you go in and you've been there for 15 years and you're like, right. Okay. It's, 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 we're going to put you on we notice. Number five and you you give us a number four. Absolutely. So bye. So, so bye now. And that's what sucks. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with The Walking Dead at the moment, Scott Tilford. Kind of are, this yeah. is relevant, but I was looking into um, <laughs> when they were negotiating for season two, like The Walking Dead season one was a huge hit, mm -hmm. like the biggest in AMC history. And yet they slashed the budget for season two and they were apparently, uh, according to the report, like pocketing the tax um, incentives for filming where they no filmed, way. right? And apparently they had this meeting with the creative heads of the show and the guy who was in charge of programming at AMC. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line was, the success of this show does not matter. We are going to do what we're going to do. Right. And I feel like that is brought up a lot. Like yes. it doesn't matter how successful your thing is. It, it, it just doesn't matter. That doesn't buy you any more leeway to mm -hmm. a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You are not kind of safe just because you've produced something that people like or is making a lot of money, mm -hmm. as was the case with the Activision thing a few years ago, yep. where you're helping bring in record profits, and then we're laying off 800 people. That's what sucks. I mean, it all sucks, but that's <laughs> what I just can never wrap my head around, yeah. because it seems like obvious thing, if you're making money and you're getting things out that people like mm -hmm. and you're doing well with Game Pass or whatever, then you reward the people who are putting in the graft, but you don't reward the people who are putting in the graft. You yeah. re reward the five people at the top who are getting million-dollar bonuses, tens of million dollars in bonuses. In that, I'm going to stop talking about it now because I'm just I'm winding <laughs> myself up with it, but I just needed to briefly mention, talk to someone about yeah, that because, no, it, I think, like I said, it's getting more acute as we go on. Yeah, I know. I only, I can only agree. I think that it's like, yeah, like you said, those people at the top that maybe sat in on one meeting yeah. like at one time during the year and they can say, like, oh yeah, I'm credited on that. I, I was instrumental in getting this thing together and it gets so far away. And if we just talk about like the, the gaming side of it, I guess I feel like film, TV and gaming are all in the same kind of bucket at the minute where it's the biggest, safest bets possible. Um, and not to toot my own little horn, but I did do it. Someone yesterday was, or a last couple of days was doing a, a treat went did the rounds that was like, give us your hottest gaming take. Yes. And I was like, I'll bite. I've got five minutes on, <laughs> the, sound like you. on the sofa. I'll bite. And uh, I just did one that just said graphics don't matter. Like that's that's my old, I'll take that as a general stance. Uh, you know, it's all about gameplay mechanics, ideas, everything else. It's not about pumping so much money into into pure shine. Um, and it's not about the safest bets possible. And um, the safest bet thing I didn't put on the tweet, but that's what I meant. It was just that idea of something like the Callisto Protocol, something that is absolutely gorgeous and has zero substance to it. And I feel like so many... Um, you know, whether it's film, TV, and especially games, are subsisting on visuals, are subsisting on uh, shine and sheen and not substance. And I think that's my core issue with it. Um, but that satisfies the money men. That satisfies the the safe bet side of it. And at some point, it just gets so far away from why people genuinely get into this industry. Yeah. Maybe someone gets into this industry in a genuine, passionate way to just fleece people and make a whole bunch of money. Um, but ultimately, and I guess it's just personal um, opinion, that's not what it's for. 
Um, it's it's an art. It's an art form. You're supposed to be creating. You're supposed to leave something behind when you're gone rather than just the money. And I know that that's such an old, potentially cheesy, cliche thing. Yeah. But that's only, to some degree, the way that it's filtered through mass media and the people that get to sign off on the scripts that say that message anyway. So I'm yeah. just, the pursuit of profit at the <laughs> the um, the cost of actual anything worthwhile, yeah, man. especially on the other side of a pandemic, is worse than ever. And I used to, you know, when I was a, a, bit, a bit younger, you know, when stuff, not like this would happen, but you mm. know when like say franchises weren't picked up because they didn't sell five billion copies but mm. hopefully the team was still okay you know you'd say oh well business is business and it's like well why is business business like that doesn't sound like good man like why do we just take this thing as the default norm I think I get like I, that's the thing I ultimately I will hold my hands up and say I'm obviously uneducated when it comes to the realities of game development I would love to sit down with as many people as possible and talk about the realities of why certain things get greenlit and at some point is it just taking the safe bet can you actually move the funds around and greenlight the cool thing or do you have to do the safe bet do you have to keep remaking the last of us over and over again yeah or can you do something else and not the playstation of the worst of it by far but those conversations are very seldom seen like that that reality of game development because everyone is nda'd up the wazoo and no one talks about the reality of funding stuff yeah um until maybe 10 or 15 years later and then maybe jason Schreier does a book on it or something but it's very very rare i want more of that information because obviously the it does you're incensed by it because it's just like we'll stop doing the safe stuff yes um because we grew up with an industry that would prioritize creativity and it is um it's only really the indie space that is thriving as much as the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s space was um and it's not we don't have like loads of great games last year was actually a phenomenal year overall for games but you can apply the um you can bring it back around sorry to the the overall amount of money that is doing the rounds here and then how like small a human matters in that equation um and just do the safe stuff just do the algorithmic stuff it's like i sorry just one last thing for this Um, let me cook is uh, I was thinking of um, the other day I was like I was going to do a tweet and I was just like what like would you play an entirely algorithmic AI generated game something that is um, algorithmically test or like based on data based on everyone based on consumer spending habits could you AI generate the main characters AI generate the levels AI generate all the art the logos everything based on what is the most popular thing AI generate the game mechanics based on previous stuff and go with go with the most popular game engine something that is entirely AI built which well, in theory should sell the best can I, it wouldn't can I jump in yes. just and say Please something do. I've been playing Ubisoft games for the past 10 years <laughs> so I've already played about 20 of those Scott you know what I mean I feel like I've already got the experience with that yeah, they've nailed that approach. <laughs> yeah. They've uh, just some sort of uh, Eve Gamer was just a robot at this stage with a little lizard mask on. Um, but, but yeah, it's just that idea. Like, is that where it's going? Yeah. Like, because I always think it's always just my been my theory for the last few years that the more audience data there is, the more um, you know different amounts of data that they can just get from social media, the way that we interact with stuff, and the amount of metrics that are measured in the average video game, where they know whether you're doing a headshot or a leg shot, and they know where you're exploring yeah. all these different heat maps of how people play folding that into game design and saying, well, this is what the average person wants. And it's like, yeah, but you don't make stuff necessarily for the average person. You have to try and educate or inform or, you know, be a, give some sort of experience that we haven't had before. 100%. Is that just the way that it's going, though? It feels like it, doesn't that mean? Like, mm. all of this, all of these layoffs, all of these, like, you know, all of this news is hot on the heels. You know, speaking of Ubisoft, you yeah. know, I bring them up sincerely because that's hot on the heels of them saying, we need to focus on mega brands. That's <laughs> all we get to do. And it's like... Ubisoft, have you been looking at your creative output over the past few years? Mm. Because the issue is not that you weren't tr- chasing trends hard enough, no. that you weren't producing these games you by algorithm. You also failed the Mario game. Yeah. So you had, you had a mega brand, Eve. <laughs> yes. The thing that was um, that I like is Eve had to apologize because a lot of different devs, I forget the name of the specific Ubisoft outlet that went on strike, or they organized a strike, yeah. um, and he had to apologize because they were like, you can't tell us that the ball is in our court to save this company when you're the one shackling us to the franchises that no one wants. Yeah. No one cares about Skull and Bones. I was reading into how it's, the, um, it's an agreement with the Singapore government to make that game. That's the only reason it's still in development. Yeah, man. Um, it should have been canned like five, six, seven years ago. Um, and it's just like, because it's with Ubisoft Singapore, they have to get it over the finish line. It's the same allegedly with 343. Like yep. it's the same situation where you've got devs who are working as hard as they can, you know, undoubtedly crunching at times. Mm. But if you have, you know, the wrong people in those executive positions who were just creatively are stifling it or mm-hmm. putting it within certain parameters, like there's only... like. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Ubisoft games are as good as Ubisoft games can get because yeah. I would say, you know, they're, they're good at what they do. It's just that what they do is boring. In Far Cry 6 is a really good example of that. It's a, yeah. it's a perfect machine of a game. Um, there's not much artistry to it. Like, it, it's great. I, I, well, it's it's great at being a certain thing. I had enough fun with it, yeah. but it, it, it's one of those things where you're very aware that you're playing a product. Like, it doesn't yeah, have man. much soul to it. And you you look at, like, the mega brands that people are pointing to, and it's, in my opinion, they're failing as well. Halo mm. Infinite, how have you messed up two Halo oh games in a row? Halo is the mega brand of mega brands, and you have done two games that haven't satisfied pretty much anyone and I haven't can't, like, been selling Halo numbers. The Halo thing, I uh, I was going to do some sort of ranty video on this, but th- th- that's the thing. The reality of trying to do a video on Halo is that it won't do numbers. We've yeah. done tons of Halo videos, and they don't do numbers. People do not care that much about Halo anymore. Um, but the contrast of Halo shutting down Times Square, I'll always remember it. I'll always remember the Halo 3 reveal, the E3 reveal, 2007 or 2006, as I say, I always remember it. It was in the 2000s. And then the fact that it shut down Times Square, they bought all the billboards, there was a whole thing, massive reveal, and it was just, it was the IP. And then to just so completely mismanage it for over a decade, where like you put the Master Chief, um, the icon inside every Series X and S, and you still can't do right by the IP just because of sheer raw mismanagement. Yeah. How do you F up Halo yeah. that badly? Like, that would be like Nintendo just messing up Mario. Oh, yeah. sorry, we dropped the ball. Like, you had the, how did you do this? Who's in charge? <laughs> yeah, literally, like, what are you doing? And it's sort of like, yeah, in that respect, um, you know, Phil Spencer sort of did a general um, statement. It was like, an, it was an employee memo or something that people ended up leaking anyway, um, just saying that obviously they were very hard cuts and whatever else, and we just had to do it and, um, and whatever. But at some point, I'm just like, proof's in the pudding and you've not served us anything in years. Mm. Where are your games? Yeah. Where are, like, what is going on? And we keep going like, well, they're doing Game Pass. Well, you know, they're doing an Xbox game streaming app. Well, you know, they've got all these irons in the fire. And it's like, they've been in the fire for yeah. like a decade. Yeah, like, man. That stuff's just kind of ludicrous. That's it. And it's like, for me, it's always, why do people on the ground floor have to suffer when, like, like I said, like the few executives who are buying the studios and then not overseeing their output, mm. or at least not as well as they could. Mm-hmm. Like, why? 
why why is it always it's never them people who are like are like struggling. <laughs> no. They get they get to move to cushy other, you know, executive positions at other companies mm-hmm. or maybe in the same company they just get moved around mm-hmm. while well, then you know it's people like on the bottom who get just like kicked out and it's yeah. like well you've got a month's notice there you go it's that <laughs> and I think some of it like in the Ubisoft case where it's just sort of like okay we're going to put it over to you okay the ball's in your court like make this work and it's like <gasps> no one can make X defiant work no like it's just that's not going to be the thing that gets Ubisoft back on the map where they were when Assassin's Creed 2 came out or something like that you need new IPs you need new ideas I feel like I'm like blue in the face from screaming about that for years at this point point um but i feel like the reason i tweeted the old horn about 10 years ago when i said that before is because that tweeted very very well online i looked i looked at the views and i looked at all the <laughs> it got retweeted loads and everything else and i was like oh this is a bigger response than i usually get i feel like this is this is a general sentiment that people agree with spending so much time on these big teetering projects when ultimately we just want a bunch of cool video games to play um and you can load them with really meaningful thematics and everything else but just to get that balance back on track again um, I will throw in um, the fact that the Avengers, uh, <laughs> Square Enix's The Avengers, um, is going to get its final update on March 31st and will be delisted from sale September 30th, 2023, making it a, uh, a three-year lifespan Scott, for an Avengers game. I just want to say, man, this is why I'm spending so much time and money going to see the 1975 on tour <laughs> and eating, like, uh, you know, Greg's sausage rolls yes. at half 12, because I don't want to think about this stuff, man. <laughs> it's always bad news. It's always bad news. And in this case, it's, you know, when, for, well, it's like the Avengers, you know? I don't think anyone how expected did, that to have yeah. a bigger lifespan, but exactly what you're going to say there, mm. how did you mess this up so how? bad? How did you get to this position I where just, you are? Feel like listing need... it, especially sorry after no, no. it's just been you know Crystal Dynamics has just been sold to Embracer Group. I yes, think. I think so. So they're no longer part of Square Enix, and it's like that could have given this game a new life, mm. but instead, nah, that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> it was one of those ones where you could tell from the beginning, like it was just that. But that's the thing. In a wider context, in a wider context of the MCU, of general sort of conversations around superhero movies, still doing numbers sometimes, not as much as they did. And I feel like ultimately they missed their window. I kind of think that at the height of the MCU, in the lead, in that two-year gap, in, or one-year gap in between Infinity War and Endgame, that's when you should have had an Avengers game. Yeah. Because um, that was when everyone was fan theorizing, and it was like, and you could have had a whole story that was like, look how it goes in the game, and we'll see. And whatever. Um, even Ultimate Alliance 3 did a better job of reminding you of the MCU um, than the Avengers game did, and that was only on Switch. But it's like that whole thing of you have the keys to the kingdom and you mess it up with premium currencies and battle passes per character, yeah. which I forgot were a thing until I went back to the reviews again. I reviewed the game, but I thought it was a thing. Um, and it's just that thing of like someone at the top, because it's not going to be the dev side, no. going like, we need to get as much out of this as possible, rather than creating a solid, stable foundation. And monet- if you don't want to, monetize later. Um, right now, as a weird comparison, No Man's Sky's fandom are like repeatedly saying to Hello Games, we will give you more money now. Like it's been six, almost seven years um, of them doing free DLC and things like that and only relying on unit sales, um, which is insane. Like the amount of money that Hello Games have put into No Man's Sky is incredible. Yeah. And obviously they, you can argue they need to because of how colossal that initial uh, launch period was. But I would argue that's a fan base ready to pay. They could have stopped support for that game a few years ago totally. and still be viewed as a success story. The mm-hmm. fact that they are still adding to that game is just that, that's that's an example of how to do a live service yeah, yeah, game yeah. and more importantly how to win back a fan base. But for me the Avengers is yet another example of betting on a mega brand <laughs> without doing not not doing the work but doing taking it for granted. Taking taking it for granted precisely. You know, mm. you've got what was at that point even if it was a few years late you know, one of the biggest IPs in the world. Yes, it might not be established in gaming, mm. but everyone knows the Avengers. Everyone understands what that means. Mm-hmm. And if you fail with the Avengers and you can't even win people back around after the launch, like mm. we've seen so many other games do, including Star Wars Battlefront 2 or, you know, the original Destiny. If you can't do that, like, <laughs> what? I mean, I'm watching mega brands fall left, That's right, and thing. center. And people are going, actually, what we need are more mega brands. <laughs> I feel like I'm in like a bizarro world, man, at this well, point. we've never really had a point in, I'm just going to say human history, even though I've only got experience of the last 30 odd years of it. We've never had a point where there are so many conversations around brands happening. So many naked discussions of just how valuable something is. And I feel like all the business realities of that bleed over into general conversation. It's like, and I feel like it's a weird thing because I feel like on the company side, they are banking on or betting on 
assuming that everyone loves having those branded conversations. Oh, I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a whatever. Whereas they used to only be the conversations that used to happen. It was like, the, it was always like the, the battle of two. It was like Mortal Kombat versus Street Fighter or whatever it is. Yeah. Whereas like now it's like trying to have those conversations every day about everything. Everything has a shared universe or everything has like supplemental materials that are put out in comics or whatever. It's like, and then it's some sort of monthly service that's attached as well to make sure you can keep up with everything. And I just feel like ultimately it's fundamentally exhausting. Like whether it's a monetary side, you're not going to subscribe to that many different things or just a reality of how many laws do you want us to keep in our minds at all times like it just it just is untenable and it's like you can see like the mcu influence in terms of the shared universe stuff but like you said that idea of making everything a mega brand which funnily enough i'll throw in another news thing because yeah. we were going to talk about the last of us and um, just super quick because uh gamesindustry.biz reports that the last of us part one uh, that, that's the remake on ps5's sales are up 238 percent after the hbo episode one of the tv show and last of us remastered on playstation 4 is up 322 percent wow um so this kind of ties into the i, I I if I said this to you last week, but I want to get a t-shirt that, that says the franchising of us because <laughs> The Last of Us wants to be a mega brand. Like yes. Sony would like The Last of Us to be a mega brand. Now that's a weird, interesting thing because The Last of Us largely started out as a one-off. Like when you read, the more you read into the development of that game, the amount of ideas that they took from the average developer um, or like some random producer that was on set that day or whatever, it wasn't this masterminded thing from just Neil Druckmann. That's one thing to point out anyway in regards to all the HBO stuff is that yeah. Australia, massively important. Um, but still, you kind of chart a course of the last 10 years and they're trying, Sony are very much trying to make The Last of Us their mega brand, yes. the next God of War, if it's not there already, which is, for me, the source material is just such a weird thing to drag out in that way. Um, but to throw into that as well, Neil Druckmann was talking to comicbook.com um, about the upcoming Last of Us Factions multiplayer and said that it's their most ambitious project, the most ambitious project we've ever done, expanding the world even further, continuing to tell a story, but in a multiplayer space. Um, I won't say too much right now. But um, but yeah, what do you think of that? That whole making The Last of Us this big teetering mega brand. Listen, right, everyone knows I'm a huge Last of Us fan, but I will agree that, you know, it's interesting that this has become such a big thing. Not not unsurprising because of how beloved the first game was and mm. how much that sold and even as divisive as part two was still sold really well people yeah. are still talking about it it's fan base mm -hmm. myself included are still championing it today replaying it engaging mm. with it and I'm also looking forward to The Last of Us Factions like I love the Factions multiplayer <laughs> same, in same. part one and I'm really genuinely excited to see what they do because I could take and I know this is sacrilege I could take a Last of Us Battle Royale game which oh, I'm kind gosh. of hoping this is but the difference <laughs> differentiator, in my opinion, between The Last of Us, even now, and The Avengers, and, you know, Halo Infinite, or whatever, is like you said, the creation of The Last of Us initially, no one was expecting that to be a mega brand. No. I love the interview with- Not Neil even Naughty Dog. No, no, no. I love the interview with Neil Druckmann, who hadn't directed a game at that point, obviously had been really involved mm. in Uncharted and stuff, hadn't directed a game, essentially thought he would get one go at this. They would only let him do it once. So he's <laughs> going to put everything in it. He's going to make it as original as he possibly can. Yeah. And it was that originality, it was that freshness that made it a mega brand. Yes. Like, that, that's the thing that I think the Ubisofts are missing, is that you cannot just rely on a name. You cannot just rely on even a team. You need something original at the core of it. And mm. then the dream, of course, is that that core is strong enough. I'm spitting all over the microphone. I'm not in sense. <laughs> is that um, strong enough yes. where it can grow into something that then you can rely on? And why I still trust The Last of Us is that, you know, Neil Druckmann in particular, and I know he's not the only creator involved nope. and not necessarily, you know, um, ascribing to the auteur theory or anything like that. Mm. But you can tell he's still passionate about it. He's still yeah. passionate about that world. He's passionate about the TV show. It seems like he's passionate about a part three in factions. He's kind of the Feige. He's kind of the Kevin. Like, I feel yes. like every, if you're going to do a mega brand, you need a Kevin Feige. And yes. I don't mean him specifically. I mean someone who knows stuff inside out. Um, because to make a weird comparison, potentially, to the way Star Wars went, when they got rid of the, the Star Wars story group, you know, when it was like Pablo Hidalgo and they had five dudes. It was like five people who oh, were okay. overseeing the future of Star Wars. It was, I think it was before Force Awakens. And it was like the Disney thing had gone through and they were taking over Star Wars. George Lucas was stepping back and it was like, oh my God, how do we possibly move forward? Because the previous Kevin Feige, George Lucas, wasn't going to be there. And it was like, don't worry guys, we've got this story group. They'll sign off on everything. Yeah. Um, and then for whatever reason, that just got pushed to the side. Obviously, J.J. Abrams did Force Awakens and he got Ryan Johnson in who did one of the most creative Star Wars movies ever that people like me, well, not like me, I just hated it, <laughs> but whatever. At least it was creative, but it wasn't remotely adhering to the, the 
quote-unquote rules of how to do one of these things where you need some sort of cohesive whole to the um, authored or authored side of it, which right now Last of Us does have. So it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but it's yeah. still dropping at the, in the heart of it. Bear with me again, because I want to talk about The Walking Dead one more time. But I think <laughs> issues arise when the businessmen in charge think they're good enough to be Kevin Feige. Oh my God, when business thinks it's creative? That's, that's the heart of the whole thing. Yeah. Again, go back using The Walking Dead as an example, like the, uh, the reports that I were reading suggested that, you know, AMC, the head of programming at AMC, just was like, well, these programs are successful because of me. It's not because <laughs> of the showrunners or the directors or the writers. The, I've greenlit this thing. Right. I've allowed it to exist. I know I best. I was on set that day. I was on set that day. <laughs> and it always does feel like when those executives feel like they... Yeah were the lead creative drive and instrumental to its success from mm. a creative standpoint and to why people love it. That's when you they they become soulless. That's when you lose the the actual people who are putting in the hard work uh, to make it as <laughs> entertaining as it was, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a video game. It reminds me of, um, there's a great interview with Ryan Reynolds. Um, I know we're talking about, a lot about movies and TV and stuff, but I do feel it's part of the, old, the wider conversation on that idea of business knows what the fans want more than the people who were a fan in the first place or who keep in touch with the fans and run in those circles. And um, there's a great interview with Ryan Reynolds talking about the Dead, uh, Deadpool's uh, portrayal in Wolverine Origins um, and how he had a sit-down meeting with ex-executive who was like, uh, always the milk with the mouth, just cover his mouth up. Just so that <laughs> people will love it. People will love it. And Ryan Reynolds going like, they won't. They'll hate that. Yeah. Um, that's like absolutely the thing not to do. And it's, oh, no, 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 just do it, just do it. Um, and that obviously went down the way that it went down and one of the worst portrayals of that character. Um, but sometimes the person calling the shots is just wrong, but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and I feel like... Um, you can wrap that back around to the Ubisoft thing. You can look at it in terms of um, the Halo being mismanaged. Um, and it just, it's crazy because when you have a brand that is a mega brand or something that is being talked about that much, and again, that assumption of a master plan being in place, the reality that it's not, and they are just sort of like sewing the parachute as they, as they fall down out of the sky and whether they'll hit the ground or save themselves or not, that is a hell of a weird reality to the stuff that you might have invested a lot of your own personal taste into. Um, there's that whole psychology behind why people get so incensed online about certain properties because it matters a lot to them and they've put a lot of their personality into it, a lot of a lot of their individuality into it, even if they don't consciously realize it. Mm. If, a, if a franchise that you love is bombing, some people take that personally yeah, and without even necessarily realizing it in that phrase, but they are. It's why they get so annoyed about it. And um, and that's the whole thing. And I just think like, there's I don't know how you rebalance the scales at a certain level of production. I would reduce the amount of money being spent on certain things. Yeah. Um, that would be my, I mean, I, if I could just wave a wand, I, I would rather have 10 Rockstar games in a year or 10 Naughty Dog games in a year. Um, and you can do your Last of Us's, but I don't think it should come at the expense of the the raw reasons you got into gaming in the first place, whether yeah. it's on the coding side or the fan side. Um, but I don't think any of that will actually get done no. unless there's some sort of weird game crash thing. That's it, because it does feel like we're trending away from mm. you know that kind of style of creative autonomy, I suppose, but at the same time, I don't think it's in danger of um, changing anytime no. soon because despite layoffs like this, Profits are still nuts. Like, mm. they're still making money hand over fist. And those mega brands, when they do hit, bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in a more profited, more prof, they bring in more profit, yes. more profitable than <laughs> the, you know, the movies we're talking about today. Oh, like, God, yeah. Com unit sales com are completely eclipse them, you know, 100%. Do you think, uh, as a, a posited question, that um, PlayStation Studios and PlayStation's general approach to IP is just Ubisoft, but six, seven years behind. Because I feel like the model that PlayStation have right now, where it's like, it's a bow character, it's the slow, it's the slow walking um, expository scenes, it's like quippy dialogue, it's uh, loot components in a semi-open world. A lot of things are starting to get very homogenized and it's selling very well right now, but I feel like they are where Ubisoft were with Far Cry 3. And um, and the later the Assassin's Creed Two and Brotherhood, where where it became, we're getting this over and over again. Yeah. Because if there was one criticism of God of War Ragnarok, it was how safe it was. Yes. Gameplay wise. Um, and so I think that's an interesting thing of like, right now we're all kind of riding high. Um, however, I'm not seeing a single soul talk about God of War Ragnarok anymore. I feel like well, it is when people do retrospectives, it's like, well, yeah, it was there. Yeah. But like, it's not Elden Ring. Hey, you it's know. January now. It I'm not January. seeing people talking about Elden Ring anymore. <laughs> we we Elden Ringed ourselves out in the same way we got to, how many, how many podcasts do we do on God of War that's Ragnarok, very true. Scott Tilford? I just wonder about, um, I wonder about the future of PlayStation and because yeah. they've identified the quote unquote things that sell, um, it's very hard for money people to not double down on them and make every game that's PlayStation first party be this sort of Last of Us 
like style game with like twin protagonists and uh, deep themes or uh, sorry, deep thematics. Um, I mean, like a deep presentation, no, like slow pacing and everything. Couldn't think of the word for slow model and stuff. You know what? I'm, I'm with you. I still love the games that they're putting out right mm. now, but you know they can't do this forever, mm. in my opinion. I don't think they'll ever get as bad as Ubisoft, but <laughs> right now it would be weird if they didn't, um, you know, start trending that way mm. because the entire industry is trending that way, yeah. and they're already making a lot of money and in their minds I'm sure they're thinking well how can we make more because that's always the goal it's well, how like, can we make more is that to get more focused mm. on the things that are selling well does that mean we don't get a first person shooter from them ever again because they are focused on these third person action games mm. I don't know I think we will get sick of them eventually but mm-hmm. we're not quite there yet and hopefully they do have that you know spark to focus on original ideas going forward you know for as formulaic as they might be, we still got Ghost of Tsushima, we still got Horizon Zero Dawn, like, those were, like, new IPs, those were new yeah, ideas, yeah. and that was Safe gameplay ideas, though. Safe gameplay ideas, mm-hmm. but at least they both did feel new to me. Like, I True. would, like, they felt like a massive breath of fresh air compared to, you know, getting into the infamous or getting into the kill zone at the time. And yes, they are still mm. kind of, I don't know, I don't know if you, I haven't seen your face change, but... I'm just thinking of the way that the, the times they were received in, because I definitely champion the new IP, and like Horizon's world is brilliant. I love the idea of like mecha dinosaurs, but it is kind of Monster Hunter in terms of what you're doing. Mm. And then Ghost of Tsushima is kind of your arbitrary third-person open-world loot-based action game in terms of the um, getting various components and, and ranking up and stuff. I adore both those games, especially their, like, yeah, like I was going to say, but they're both their first installments, but Horizon, uh, Tsushima's only had one. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just that thing of trying to match whether it's gameplay first or presentation first. And like, if you do, if you prioritize a more unique presentation, do you have to play things safer on the gameplay side? Yeah. Because when you cited there, Infamous and Killzone, we've had no games from Sony that play similar to either of those in like a decade. True. Like they've not tried like a more, I don't know, something more traversal based where you're sort of like moving around a world like you did in Infamous or like you did in Prototype. And then Killzone, we've not had a Sony first party, first person shooter in who knows how long. We have it. And I'm not saying like that's the trend they should, mm. they should follow. What I was, I may have, I'm rambling so much, but <laughs> the, the context I was trying to put those games in is that at the time yeah. we were sick of Killzone. True. We were so sick of Killzone. And even Infamous, we were kind of like, it's good, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not the best that you can do. Like, mm. give us something else. You know, we've got other open-world games like it. I like the way Infamous plays, but if you go back to even Second Son, like the side missions, mm. the the collectibles, it's very open-world 101 it from 2008. Like, what I meant by those games is I would take them coming back now, 100%. Yes. But at the time, Ghost of Tsushima... Horizon Zero Dawn, they felt like something new, and now they feel yeah, like something yeah, yeah. old because that's become the formula, well, that's, but yeah. it wasn't back then. That's entirely what I meant as well. It's just that idea of a first-party studio having genre diversity and like, and the idea of them sort of forgoing that because they know what works and then just sticking to that and not necessarily bothering with a first-person shooter because they can do another third-person, um, you know, like deep, slow-paced, shoegazy game again and make that work. And it's not that they, they don't do it better than anyone else in the industry right now, um, but I just, I think about their wider catalog. And I guess if you think about it on a long enough timeline, but they're like, well, what's the rush? Yeah. Like, we might as well strike while the iron's hot and do this thing everyone's loving and get all the critical scores and get the 10 out of 10s and establish ourselves. And then, like, Sony's plan is clearly... Um, taking God of War Horizon, Ghost of Tsushima, and uh, Last of Us, and doing movie or TV tie-ins to each one, um, and maybe do an audio podcast. I mean, there's the, there's the whole Last of Us HBO podcast. That thankfully, Troy Baker is hosting. Yes. I think it's lovely seeing him manage to get on uh, HBO and everything. Um, but they have that wider approach to everything, and they're, they're very fully formed in terms of like the way that they're fleshing those things out. And that should I- allow them to do more Concrete Genies or Destruction All-Stars or whatever. But I guess time will tell. It should, but we are forgetting that they bought Bungie because they have like 20 live service games in production. All the mobile so, games are so that, that's probably the future, actually. <laughs> we've got these third-person single-player games, and then we've got like a bunch of live service stuff <sighs> that they're doing, which hopefully can be good. I'm still, I am looking forward to The Last of Us Factions a lot, man. Like, that's no, me too, the but proof will be in the pudding. If they do a uh, sort of app tie-in to The Last of Us Factions, I might take that as some sort of way of bringing my phone up and be like, oh, Josh is infected again. Right, I'll run over there and help him when I get, ho- when I get home at night or something. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and if they do a Ghost of Tsushima sort of flute mini game, yeah. then I'm, I'll get that. If I can swipe to play the Shakahachi, I will absolutely do that. Um, but yeah, that's it's all just very nebulous at the minute in terms of matching what we've just established on this podcast as at least our current view of big business yeah. and the pitfalls of big business. And as is evident factually by the amount of layoffs and the amount of projects that get notably addled by that. Um, adult is the right word notably affected by it there we go and <laughs> and then uh, pairing that off with the assumption that people will do right by the IPs that you love 
Um, it's a weird old time with more money on the line than ever and, yeah. more, and more economic distance between the people at the bottom and the people yes, at the top. Yes, that's it. I mean, my thing is like, how can I trust the people in charge of these IP, mm. these franchises, when I can't trust them to look after the people who are making these franchises Literally. and these IP? That's it all... All you have to get in that boat together, Scott Telford, is what I'm saying. And you cannot take them for granted is is the issue. So I don't trust them if they can't get that right. We will finish on um, hopefully a positive note, which is Obsidian CEO Fergus Urquhart. Urquhart? U-R-Q-U-H-A-R-T. Urquhart. I cannot pronounce my own last name. That name is Brown. <laughs> Obsidian CEO, anyway. I once called Dark Side Dark, side, dark Seed in you a did, video. You did, to be honest. Um, but yes, Obsidian CEO Fergus um, has been doing an interview with Game Pressure um, saying he wants to make another Fallout um, at some point. He says, I don't know when that is. I don't have a date of my I don't have the date of my retirement. It's funny. You can say I'm already 52 or only 52. It's one of those two, depending on the day. My hope is that it'll happen, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, this feels like one of the most open goals that immediately made itself obvious when um, Microsoft slash Xbox got in bed with Obsidian. It's like, yeah. you have Bethesda, you have Obsidian. Can you guys not just make nice? Yes. And make this work? Please, 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 please. I know Obsidian, like mentioned in that interview there, have so much on mm-hmm. with, you know, the like Outworlds 2 avowed all of their other smaller games that mm-hmm. they're focusing on. But come on, like, <laughs> sometime down the line, let us have um, Fallout New Vegas 2 mm-hmm. or whatever spinoff they want to do because we're not getting Fallout 5 for a long time. No. I could be dead in the ground before that <laughs> game comes out because... By the time Starfield comes out, then we've got the Elder Scrolls Six, which is going to take oh, another what, four or five years at least. And, and then we've then got another Fallout 5. Yeah, four or five years after that for Fallout 5. What better way than to keep the Fallout brand alive um, outside of Fallout 76 mm-hmm. than doing uh, an easy win with New Vegas 2? Because, man, that game would, that would, game would absolutely rule and it would... Get the fans back in. Do they take Outer Worlds 2 and make that a Fallout game? Do they just call that Fallout New Planet? I hope not. No. And I'll tell you why, because I like the Outer Worlds, but it Mm. was a good game. It was a good game, but it lacked, and this is what I'd worry about if they did ever get around to doing New Vegas 2, by the way. Mm. I'd worry it would lack the depth that New Vegas 1 had, because if we're talking about, you know, um, original ideas in games that... shouldn't work or, mm. pe- or games that people are passionate about and just threw everything in like New Vegas is that oh, it totally. has the framework of course of a Bethesda AAA game you've got the first person shooting you've got the exploration but like the the richness of the text mm. in that game is is stupidly rich like totally. someone had an idea someone had like thoughts and went this is everything that I think. <laughs> this is everything I want to put in a Fallout game mm-hmm. because I might not get another chance. It's the Neil Druckmann thing of I might get only one go at mm-hmm. this in the original Fallout 3 was cancelled. So let's just like make this as good as it can be mm-hmm. within the absolutely daft 18-month time oh, period they had say. to make the game. Uh, so yeah, if they do another one, I'd want that richness. <laughs> I'd want to give them time. Because the assumption is that they're doing Avowed with a, a relaxed time frame. Like, it's, we've not had any updates on Avowed for, I think, like two years since it was first announced or whatever. And we know that they're working on it as some sort of Elder Scrolls thing. Because um, I guess that on the Xbox side, they can say, like, we have one big first-person um, open-world fantasy RPG, and it's not the Elder Scrolls. Look, we're the home of these things. We have Obsidian doing one, and we're going to have Bethesda's going forward. But, um, yeah, Obsidian are, like, the the masters that never get really the recognition for it. People like us put them on lists for it, yeah. and we talk about them as much as we can because... Because, like you said, Fallout New Vegas was crunched to death like, in about 18 months and still came out rich as hell. Um, Night of the Old Republic 2, like the Sith Lords, like the amount of detail that's in that thing that was restored when they did that massive, um, like, official sort of patch or whatever years, years later, um, they deserve to be up there with the Bethesdas. In fact, I would argue they're more reliable than the Bethesdas yeah. if you look at their track record. More interesting. More interesting, yeah, more interesting. And they are endemic of that group of people on the, the bottom, quote-unquote, in terms of the dev side, in terms of the hierarchy, um, that really care. They really care about putting out the best possible stuff, even if they're only given 18 months to turn around a Fallout game. They'll still do an arguably better job than the main installment. So I guess to bring it all full circle, we love Obsidian. And we <laughs> yes. hope teams like them get to do good things. And hopefully, you know, touch wood, touch wood, touch they don't all fall the wood. apart. But they do seem like the model uh, to adopt going forward. Yeah, you've got your Outer Worlds 2, you've got your Avowed, mm. you've got these big franchises that they're working on. Mm-hmm. But they're also putting out, like, Pentiment. That is getting <laughs> 10 out of 10s across the board. It is the small and wild west. <laughs> yeah, like, incredibly niche game mm. that is, you know, 
you know, working. You've got like, what was the other one they had? Grounded. Grounded, totally. Grounded's unbelievably doing unbelievably well. This is it. Like, a weird idea, a potentially Mm. niche idea that caught on because it was weird and because it was niche. You know what I mean? Like, you can have both. And like, they're a good example, hopefully, Mm. of people who, of uh, developers who can create the big franchises, but also keep, you know, pumping out those quirky original ideas that mm. another company might not take the risk on. I might not even find valuable mm. because they're not going to sell like a mega brand would. Well, the thing is as well, like they that's what you have to hope is the end game of everything that Phil Spencer and Game Pass and everything is trying to go for is the idea of a studio like Obsidian that can prioritize creativity and are reliable and have really good talented writers and art, art teams and everything, putting a smaller game out that no one even heard of Pendament, but it's, oh, by the way, it's on Game Pass. And all that takes is one chance advert on a social media feed and you go, oh my God, it's Obsidian. I'll check out the new Obsidian. Obsidian game, um, which is what I want from Rockstar or Naughty Dog. Like, mm. if you saw something completely unexpected and it said, and the Naughty Dog logo came up, you would immediately check that out. That's what I want more of. Um, and it's what I thought Rockstar were going to do when they launched the Rockstar store, like online. Um, I thought they were going to start hosting other smaller projects, like the Epic Game Store, and get the use the Rockstar label to say we endorse this mm. and pass the torch. That's what I want from all those teams uh, or studios. Um, but yeah, you would hope that that's the end point of all the Game Pass model is just getting teams working on smaller projects and Game Pass offsets the need for it to be a big AAA, oh my God, look at the graphics, look at this thing. Yeah. Um, Because at least it's in front of people month on month. That's it. Even with a potential New Vegas 2 or whatever Fallout game they might want to work on, like the kind of beauty of it, I think, Mm. in their current framework is that it doesn't have to be like a Bethesda-style thing anymore. Right. Of course, it could be, mm-hmm. and that would sell the most, but why couldn't they do an isometric Fallout game? Why couldn't they do a 2D Fallout game, yeah. a proper narrative-driven one without any combat or anything? Mm-hmm. Like, surely it doesn't have to be uh, the mega brand version of it. It doesn't have to be the big action-packed outer-world-style mm. thing. It could be something smaller with slightly less of a budget, mm-hmm. but no less ambitious. I guess they did Brotherhood of Steel that time, and yeah. everyone hated it. I, but that was... Uh, nah, nah, nah. Was a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about that game. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but um, overall, this has been a very good wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford. You've been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>